Okay, we're learning Daflam and Zion. We're holding by the Chidats, right on top of the Amid, Lochotan, Vlomiyabin. So the mission was saying different things that are Asr, Midrabanan, on Shabbos, all sorts of different categories. And the mission made a point of saying that they're Asr if they're Stam discretionary, if they're, they're Asr if they're somewhat related to, to being a mitzvah. And the category for that is called Rishos. Rishos means somewhat related to being a mitzvah. And then they could be Asr even if they're a total mitzvah. So we're in the middle category of something which was related to a mitzvah, but not actually a mitzvah. So the Mishnah said, not to do chalitz or not to do yibam on yontif. That's something, even though it's related to a mitzvah, it's still aser. So the Gemara asks the obvious question, why do you categorize chalitz on yibam as rishos, as being related to a mitzvah? Ha mitzvah kavid, it's a straight up mitzvah. 100% it's a mitzvah. Why is the Mishnah categorizing it as if it's not a mitzvah? So the Gemara answers, we're talking about where there's another brother and there's another older brother. So the person who wants to chalitza or yibam here is not the oldest brother. And really, what is the halacha? The Gemara Yibamas tells us, Mitzvah The most preferable person to do the yibam is the oldest brother. We learn, but Bachar means the oldest brother. So therefore, since even though he could do the mitzvah, but he's not the ideal brother to do the mitzvah, so therefore we, we, we call his yibam a rishos in the sense that it's not the most important mitzvah to be done. Fine. So now, after analyzing why it's called Rishos as opposed to being called Mitzvah, now we ask a very simple question. Kulu Taima Mai. What is the reason all these things are Asr? As we said, you can't judge. We said you can't get married. We said you can't do Chalitza or Yibam. Why not? What, what exactly is the sensitivity here to allowing these things to take place? So the Gemara explains, The Rabbana made a that somebody might come to write. Um, which makes sense. You know, you, you, you judge a case, you might come to write the verdict. And uh, when, you, when you have a Kedushin, you have a star, and uh, Chalitza is something also, again, you might, they used to record it in, in, in a star, just like a get, so that it was known that she could go free. So therefore, um, all these things are an issue of, 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 of Shema Yichtov, if you would do that, Mayantav. Then we go on to the next category. Edwin Misha Mitzvah. These are things which, even though they are mamish outright mitzvahs, they're still not supposed to be done. Lomak Dishin. You're not allowed to consecrate something to the base of Mitzvah. Lomak Rechim, Kamek Erechim, Lomak Harimin, a type of Cherem. Cherem is also a form of hektish where you're donating something to the base of Mekdash. What's the reason for doing that, for answering these things? Gizera Mishum Mekachom Memka. The Rabbanon said it's also because it resembles Mekachom Memka, it resembles business. And the idea is that it looks like business, so you might come to do business, right? Now, it's not actual business because you're donating it to the base of Mekdash. It's not a typical sense of business, you know, you're selling something to somebody. Here, I'm just donating something to the base of Mekdash. I'm doing my mitzvah of donating to the base of Mekdash. What do you want from me? But the answer is, is that it resembles business, and if you do this, you might open your store. Now, if you think about it, what's wrong with having your store open? Is that also Xavier that you might come to write? Especially the Gemara just saying a very like backhanded way that it's also to write? Or we're protecting that din of writing? Or is doing commerce really an Isr midrabanum bifne atzman? It really comes from the words in the Navi when they came back by the second base Amikdash and they saw that all the stores of Yerushalayim were open on Shabbos. Maybe technically they weren't violating Shabbos. You're allowed to sell. Why can't you sell something on Shabbos? But obviously, that's not the spirit of the Shabbos that they wanted in Yerushalayim to have all the stores and commerce being conducted on Shabbos. So they made Yirmi over there. I'm sorry, not Yirmi. Ezra and Nechemi made a specific ban not to do business on Shabbos. So it could be that it has the din of Dibir Kabbalah. And that's what the Gemara is referring to. So it could be there's really two separate halachas. So there you might write, which is we looked at before with judging the cases, so on and so forth. And now when we're looking at Things which we're stopping, even if it's an outright mitzvah, but we're stopping uh, donating to the base of Mikdash, even though it's a total mitzvah, the answer is this is a of business, which is a din, bifne atzma. What did the Mishnah say afterwards? It's also to, be, to take off trimah and miser. Frank the Gemara Pshita, this is obvious. It's interesting that the Gemara is saying it's obvious. It's not so obvious, right? 
But probably it's Rabbanan, as we discussed, of being metakin, that you're fixing something. That's an obvious that the Rabbanan answered it. Or maybe it means obvious in the sense that we already learned in the Mishnah back on Dafyud Beis that that point is true. Maybe that's what the Gemara is asking. We've learned repeatedly throughout the Masech that you're not allowed to take off Trimus and Maizr and Yantif. So the Gemara explains, and this is something that may take you back all the way to Dafyud Beis. The issue isn't, isn't whether you're allowed to separate it, but whether you're allowed to deliver it. Remember, there's two aspects to the mitzvah, the afraja and then the nisina. So the question is, what if it was already taken off? So if I'm not fixing the fruits, the fruits already became permitted. The question is, am I allowed to deliver the gift to the Kohen? And the Mishnah is saying that you're not allowed to. And the Gemara qualifies, the stringency is referring to produce that was tevil before yantif. That's when there's a din, you're not allowed to take off um, because you're fixing and then not to deliver as well. But if I have a, the- a theoretical situation where it only became Tevel today, meaning there was no way I could have been mafish yesterday. It wasn't in a state of Chiyav yesterday. Kigon, what's an example of that? Again, this is what we learned on Dafir Beis. Let's say you made fresh dough on Yontif. So it only, you only become obligated to take off the challah once I have the dough. So you can't say, hey, you should have done that before Yantif. I want to make fresh bread, and the freshest bread requires the raw ingredients to be mixed only on Yantif right before I'm going to make the bread. So in that situation, what do you want me to do? So in that case, the rabbis did not restrict a person from doing that. Ma'afrashinon, you're allowed to separate the challah if you have vina lakayin and even give it to the kayin. So the whole din that is also to be ma'afrash trimus from maestros is only when it became tevel that day. Now you might remember from Dafi Dalid, it sounds like that there's no case of produce which becomes tevel on yantif. All, all the case, you either finish just being processed before yantif or, won't, or you can't process it on yantif. But it sounds like from our Gemara, there is no case of produce which becomes tevel on yantif. The only case is the dough which a person makes fresh, and in that case it's mutter. But otherwise, there's no scenario where it's permitted. Okay, now the Gemara ter- challenges the language that our Mishnah used. So our Mishnah, again, we spoke about three things. We said it's also Mishum Shvos, Mishum Rishos, and Mishum Mitzvah. Shvos means when it's completely discretionary. Rishos means when it's related to a mitzvah, and mitzvah means when it's mamash or mitzvah, still it's Asr. But the language of the Gemara is that in these cases is Rishos. So the Gemara says, What does it mean that these are Rishos? Don't, aren't they also subject to the Isra of Shvos? Meaning, Shvos normally means, what does the word Shvos mean? That Medrabanan, you should stop, right? It's an Isra Shvos, meaning it's a Medrabanan that you should refrain. So, are these things in the third category, um, just mitzvahs and Mishum Shvos not an Isra Medrabanan? So basically what we're asking is, why are we categorizing Rishos and Mitzvah as contrast to Shvos? Shvos means the Isser. So the category shouldn't be Shvos, Rishos, Mitzvah. The Rishos and the Mitzvah are also Asr Mishum Shvos. What's the language of the Mishnah which implies that the categories of Rishos and Mitzvah are not subject to the restriction of Shvos? What does that mean? We go for our Asring. We're referring to them as Shvos even in these scenarios. So the Gemara is purely asking a question of language which the Gemara clearly cleans up. What the Mishnah is saying is a case of a style of not only this but even this. Lomi Bai Shvos Geredita to Asr. Of course, in a regular shvos, it's asr. What does a regular shvos mean? In a case where there's nothing compelling you to do it. It's just you'd like to do it for no reason. You like to climb a tree. You don't have no reason, good, you want, any good reason you want to climb a tree. Stop, you want to climb a tree. Certainly in that case, it's a din shvos that it is forbidden. Even if it's a rishos, there's still a shvos which restricts you from doing it. And not only is a shvos, also when it's rishos, 
There is a din shvus even when it's on a mitzvah. So all we've done on we've done is in clean up the language, and we're explaining that the shvus restriction applies not only to the total discretionary thing, even to somewhat mandatory things, and even finally to totally mandatory things. In all of those cases, there is a din shvus which refers which stops you from doing it. It's not that we're saying these last categories don't have rishos. We're saying don't have shvus. We're saying even in the second categories, there is a din shvus which stops you from doing. It. Okay. We're up to the last narrow line in Laman Zion says the Gemara called Amru. All these restrictions were set on Yantif. All these Rabbanus can't climb in a tree, you can't dance, you can't get married, you can't get you can't judge, you can't do chalitza, you can't do Yibam, you can't um, uh, 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 donate things to the base of Mikdash. All these things were set on Yantif and certainly on Shabbos. Why, says the Mishnah? Because the only discrepancy between Yantif and Shabbos is that's what the mission finishes off. The only discrepancy is food preparation. Says the Gemara, is that really true? That's the only difference? Well, what about the, the din that our parak began with? Uraminu. We have a contradiction right from the beginning of our Mishnah. We have produce on the roof. You're allowed to lower it in the skylight on Yantif. The rabbis didn't ask for the Tircha on Yantif, but on Shabbos, they did ask for the Tircha. So we see that there's a Dirabana on which they asked only on Shabbos and not only on Yantif. And not on Yantif in the case of lowering produce down through the skylight. So how could our Mishnah say a flat rule that the only discrepancy is preparing food when we see there are other differences? Says the Gemara, You're right, the Mishnahs are a contradiction, and in truth, they're different of views. This Mishnah, which says that it applies to all of them, except it, it, it applies to Yontif and Shabbos equally, is going like Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer, we're going to see in a second, is stricter by Yontif. He doesn't know that just because you're going to lose money, the rabbis were Mater Tercha. According to Rabbi Eliezer, you would not be allowed to lower produce through the skylight even on Yantif. Rabbi Eliezer would not agree with the previous Mishnah. The previous Mishnah, which was matered on Yantif, how Rabbi Yeshua is only going like Rabbi Yeshua. So what we have to do is we're going to introduce further evidence of a dispute between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua if we're lenient for financial loss to exert oneself on Yantif. And what we're doing with that is saying our Mishnah, which says that the only difference is food preparation, it's mashma, you can't lower the fruit produce through the skylight, is going like Rabbi Eliezer. Whereas the previous mission, which permitted you to lower the produce through the skylight, is Rabbi Yeshua. It's very forced that one mission is like Rabbi Yeshua, but yeah. If they're going to use the produce for food, they're going to use Correct, it. but that wasn't what the mission was saying. You're correct. The Gemara assumes that when the mission said before you could lower produce through the skylight, it doesn't mean specifically when you're going to eat the produce. It's not, your nervous is going to get a financial loss, or you're concerned it might, it might rain on them, you're allowed to lower it. It didn't mean specifically when you're going to eat it. What is this Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yeshua that we're talking about? The Tanya says in a brisa. You have a mother and a child cow that both fall into a pit. Now, what's the din of Osef Espino? It's forbidden to slaughter them both on the same day. So even though it's mutter to do malacha and shecht on yantif, but you can't slaughter a mother and its offspring on the same day because that's not clear. it's clearly not going to be allowed to be, to be eaten. So what's going on? So what do you do? But on the other hand, you don't want to leave one in the pit because it's very dangerous for the animal to remain in the pit. It might die. It might suffocate. It's hard for it to stay alive. So Rabbi Lezer says, You take out the first animal and plant and slaughtering it, and you shecht it, right? Gishmak. The first one is not an issue. But Dasheni, once you've already slaughtered the first one, you could try to keep it alive in its place in the pit so that it won't die. But Rabbi Lezer's point is that you're not allowed to bring it out of the pit. Once you already slaughtered the, the mother, or the, or the, whichever the, the first one was, you're not allowed to slaughter the second one. So the second one cannot be taken out of the pit. I you might die. So what? You have no solution. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, no. Look at this way. Look at this subterfuge. Look at this Arama. You take out the first one. You say, I'm going to slaughter it. Then you inspect it and you say, eh, 
not good enough for me. And then you make harama and you take out the second one. You say maybe the second one will be better. And then at that point, then you can make a decision which one was actually better. It's meaning you're playing games. You know, and not really that you're taking the second one out because the first one wasn't good enough for you. But you claim that it was, and therefore you have a license to take the second one out because maybe that animal would be better. I really just want to have the best steak with simchas yantaf. I'm a big tzaddik. I want to have the highest quality meat. First one, maybe the second one would be better. So Rabbi Yeshua is saying you're allowed to do harama to take the second one out, and Rabbi Lezer did not. So what's Pshad in the Machlekes? Pshad is, Rabbi Yeshua is lenient because of the financial loss. And Rabbi Lezer is not considered the financial loss of enough a reason to be lenient to take out the second one. So, so too, that's what's going on. Rabbi Yeshua would be lenient to let you lower the produce to the skylight. Rabbi Lezer would not. How is that a good comparison? And he said, you can't bring the second one up because it's not for sure that the animal is going to die. It's not definitely financial loss. Maybe you could send food down into the pit and it will stay alive. Here the issue is that it's going to rain on the fruit. If it rains, it will certainly get ruined. So it's a question of certain financial loss. So then maybe even Rabbi Lezer would agree that you're allowed to lower it through the skylight. I mean, you, don't, you don't know certainly that it seems, yeah, it seems like it's more certain. I, I, I don't know either for sure the forecast or, or maybe the Parnassus thing is really more likely than we think. I don't know. Inami, perhaps another distinction. Maybe over there, the Yisoyed of Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua wasn't Stam saying you could do it for no reason. It was Haroma. And here's a very interesting Yisoyed. Haroma is not a joke. Haroma, is a, there's validity to it. Why is there validity to Haroma? Let's think it through. Because nobody really knows what's in somebody else's mind. So even if in your mind you're doing it just to save your animal, but we can't touch up a mice based upon that. Harama is harama. There's validity to it. So over there, the aside is, it's not stam that I'm saving the animal. The aside is, I'm going to shaft it. Here, there's no subterfuge. I, maybe you're going to use the fruits. That's a question. I don't know. It seems for whatever reason, it's clear and apparent. There's no question you're not using these fruits. So therefore, it's not after the harama here. So it's clear that you just want to exert yourself and save your fruits on Yantif. So if that's the case, maybe even Rabbi Yeshua would agree that it cannot be done. So we don't necessarily draw a, a good parallel, do a good comparison from the Ozov Espino case to our case of the fruit. The Machlokas, we agree again. What's taking place is that we agree that there's a steer between the Mishnahis about whether or not you're allowed to lower the fruits on Yantif. The previous Mishnah said yes. Our Mishnah implies not because it says the only difference between Shabbos and Yantif is a Cholnafesh. So we agree that there's a Machlokas, but instead of drawing those names, we're going to draw from a different Dispute elsewhere between Bishamah and Bezal. You might remember this. This is Daphne Bezam at Aleph. We had a machlokas if you're allowed to carry non-food items in the street on Yontif. What was the pshat in the machlokas? We explained, remember, it was mitoch. Bezil says since you could carry food, you could carry even non-food items on Yontif. Beishamai said, no, there's no such thing. You're allowed to carry food items. You're not allowed to carry non-food items. So there was such a dispute. So what does this have to do with us? So Beisilel, who's makel to carry even, even things that you're not going to use for food, so then he's going to be makel to lower the food through the skylight. Beishamai, who is machmer and does not allow you to carry on Yantif, will not allow, will not allow, will not allow you to lower the produce through the, through the skylight. Now you're going to ask, what in the world is the connection between lowering the fruit down the skylight and carrying in the street? They're two separate issues, right? What in the world is the Gemara's comparison? So that's what the Gemara jumps on right away. What kind of comparison is that? The Vardis is Bishami saying you can't carry in the street. Right? You're carrying is a malacha. So you can't carry unless you're doing what nefesh. He doesn't hold a mitoich. What does it have to do with avotilto? Stop exerting yourself. That's not the issue. Maybe Bishami would agree that exertion is permitted on Yantif. Well, what does it have to do with terch? 
Right? Why in the world do we know that because Beishamai said you can't carry a lulav in the street, that he would say you can't lower produce through the skylight? Why should we assume that there is any connection between the two things? So the Gemara tells us, this is really a side for, it's a side for Terchel. Whenever it comes up, you have a hard time saying, I don't understand why the rabbis are saying this is Asr and this is Mutter. This next line in the Gemara is a very important one. It says the Gemara, Atu tildo lav that any time you move something, isn't it necessary to carry it out? What does the Gemara mean? The Gemara means that every Misa of carrying began with a step of moving. Right? There's no such thing as in a vacuum, you start carrying something in the street. Every time you go and you start carrying something, right, what really happened was you started moving it somewhere else. You moved it and then you ended up carrying it outside. So when you carried your lulav, the idea was first you picked it up in your house and you started moving it and then you, came, you took it out outside. So the point that the Gemara is saying is that every din of tercha, Every din, when the rabbis say don't move something, it's related to the fact, on some level, it's associated with the fact that you may come to carry it out. It's very interesting. And therefore, we're saying like this. Basilel lishitasai, who holds that if I carry something in the street, if I'm not doing a malachadar, I saw, he allows people to carry in the street. So then for him, we're going to be much more lenient with exerting. We'll be much more lenient to lower the produce of the skylight. Because what's the big deal? You lower it. Oh, you might come to carry it out also. Okay, so you carry it out. It's not a big deal. But they're carrying things in the street is very machmer and yantif. So we're sensitive to even moving things in your house. Whenever you're moving something in your house where you're not really using right now, you're just moving it for a different reason, like in our scenario. You're lowering the produce, not for your usage, but just to protect it. So you're exerting yourself on yantif, not for usage. There's a greater sensitivity not to do that because you may come to carry. It's a very interesting thing. Now, does that mean it's a gzeira of tiltal? Yes and no. It's a durabona. It's rabbinic, rabbinically also because of tercha. But the rabbinic isra of tercha is related to the gzeira's tiltal, to the gzeira's of hotzah, and that's why it's also, if you remember, Dafid Beis, Umid Aleph, it's amazing. We have three things in the Gemara today which are related to Dafid Beis. Magbi and Trumas are maestros and yantiv. The Yisoyed here in the Gemara, if you're allowed to carry, and the Yisoyed of moving things being related to carrying. Well, there we add a klape muksa. The Gemara wanted to tie in a thing about muksa. That muksa is also related to the Isra of carrying. The Gemara got close to saying that according to Basil, maybe there shouldn't be an Isra muksa on Yontav, because even if you carry it out, it won't be an issue. So the Gemara came out not that way. That muksa is also on Yontav, even like Basil. But what we're seeing today is a fact, which stays with us, is that the reason why we're more lenient with exertion on Yontav is because of the fact that we're not so concerned that you'll carry it out. What do you say from Gemara? Gemara and Beitza. So it's not a random din that you're allowed to lower the produce to the skylight on Yontif and not on Shabbos. It's not Stam the Vart that we're more machmer on Shabbos. The Vart is, the domino effect is that we're makel on carrying in the street because of Mitaif. Then now the repercussions of that are that we can be more lenient in the laws of um, Terech. If you follow the, what happens, it's a murder thing. That's the shot. Why in our Mishnah you're allowed to lower the skylight is only according to Bezal. Okay, now we start a new Indian. The Indian is Trum. So Trum, it seems like we ply, plies on Yontif. And the din of Trumen, this is very important. This is the, the last Sugis in Beit Saw, something which comes up mostly here, not even so much in Erevin. The din of Trumen not only restricts you from moving beyond your Trum, but even things you own, your Kalim, things that are only for your usage, also cannot be moved by anyone outside of your Trum. Very interesting. That's the premise of the next Sugis. So if I own something, if I own a Kli, I own a knife, when Yontif starts, it's bound by my Trum. So now, I'm not allowed to move the kli outside my trum or anybody else as well. Cannot move that kli outside of my trum on Yontif. So says the Mishnah, 
If I own, a, if I own an animal or I own kalim, they have the same tchum boundary like the feet of their owners, meaning they can only be moved in the same tchum where the owner of the kli can go. Interestingly enough, I'm most of no other Somebody entrusts his animal to the son or the shepherd on Yantif. So it was his animal. I own it, and I'm giving it to a shepherd or to my son on Yantif. What's the din? The same thing. They can't go wherever the shepherd can go, wherever my son can go. They can only go where I can go because it's determined by the Ragle Habailim. So if I'm giving it to the person on Yantif, and I'm saying, here, Mr. Shepherd, take this animal. Here, my son, take the animal. Then it cannot be moved wherever my son or my shepherd can go. It can only go where I go. And again, my tchum won't always be where your tchum is. There are many scenarios. You may be in a different city. I may have made an error of one way. There are many different reasons why my tchum and your tchum might not be the same. So that's why this halacha is so important. I have my tchum, you have your tchum. So now, on Yantif, I'm giving you my animal. So here we're saying that the animal cannot be moved based upon the recipient's tchum, but rather on the giver's tchum. Let's say I have kalim, which are designated for use by only one of the brothers in the home. Then they get the tchum like his feet. But if they're not designated for one brother, they're just used generally by all the people in the house. And that's an area in they can only go to a place where everyone can go. So if they have different tchumen, the kli can only be go to a place where everybody shares. If, there's a, if, it, if you're going to a place where it's only for one person's tchum, but outside another person's tchum, then that's already a sign that it's also to take that kli. Okay. What happens if somebody borrows a kli? If you borrowed it before yantiv, he gets the tchum of the borrower. So this isn't taking it Another chiddush. Maybe you, and don't have been talking about ownership. So what if I borrow something before Yantif? Zok the Mishnah big chiddush. It takes on the tchum of the borrower. Since it was only for his usage before Yantif, so it takes on his tchum. However, be Yantif, if he only borrowed it on Yantif, then it gets the tchum of the feet of the lender. So look at this case. A woman borrows from her friends on Yantif. She borrows some ketchup, right? She borrows some spices, some water, some salt. For her dough, I ain't Now, she, the bread that she makes can only go to a place where both of the tchum can go. So we have to understand the var. What's the pshat? Because the dough, what's the pshat? The recipient made, let's say, she had the flour. But the salt in the dough was from somebody else. So now I have dough. She puts it all together and she makes a bread. What is the bread? The bread is both. It's got the flour and it's got the salt. The salt is bound by the tchum of the, of the, of the lender. And the, and the flour is bound by the tchum of the recipient. So therefore now, when I have the loaf of bread, topless that result, that bread can only be taken to a place where both the lender and the recipient can go because the bread is a mixture of both ingredients. Whereas says, water is not included in that. Water is nothing, right? Water is just, it's, you can't notice it, right? it totally blends in. So water is not, you can't distinguish at all. So by the water, we say that it's not important. So it, let's say the lender lent water and the recipient had all the other ingredients, then the bread would go wherever the recipient's tchum is. Okay, so our Mishnah said that if somebody gives the animal to a shepherd or, to a shepherd or the son on Yantif, whose tchum is it? The owner's tchum, not the shepherd's tchum. That's what our Mishnah started off with saying. Our mission, which said that top of the Amid base, the local Rabdosa is not like Rabdosa. The time you're the price of Rabdosa, other people say it's Bisham Abashal. Somebody buys an animal from his friend before Yantif started. In other words, they made the agreement, they made the Kenyan that he was going to become the owner. Even if the seller didn't give it to him, he didn't actually take the animal until Yantif. 
It still goes, the tchum is, the, is determined based on the feet of the purchaser. Why? Because that was the intention. That's the Yisoy. This is important to get this. As long as the intent, it was clear that he was going to be the one using it on Yontif, so that he is the one, who, it's his based upon his tchum. Another case, or clarity, somebody is giving the animal to a shepherd, hand it over to him until it was Yontif, it goes like the tchum of the shepherd. So it seems like, again, that this might be teaching even a little bit of a chiddush over here, and Rashi might understand it's the same case. You're giving it to the shepherd who's the, sh- the, the buyer shepherd. And, you know, it's like a clarification. You made a deal with a guy to sell him one. And now instead of even forget about the fact you're even giving it to him, Anyant, if you're giving, only giving it to a shepherd, still we say it goes like the raglia of the, of the shepherd. Why? Because once I made the deal with the guy before Yantif, so then basically it's known, it's clear, it's apparent it's going to go to his shepherd. So this is not a new novelty when I give it to uh, the shepherd on Yantif. Oh! But well, the tchum was already established. No, when the, when the shepherd takes it and it was clear that it was going to go to the shepherd, so then it goes and the tchum is determined based upon the shepherd. So now the kasha is, it's a steward to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah seems to say it all is determined by who it was, who it was by when Yontif started. So if I own something and I give it to someone, other shepherd, on, on Yontif, our Mishnah said that what? It's determined by the tchum of the owner, not by the shepherd. But the kasha is here, Reb Dosa and the Brian seems to be saying when you give it to the shepherd on Yantif, it was clear that it was going to go to the shepherd. And therefore, it assumes the tchum of the shepherd once, it, once it's given to him. So it's a contradiction between our Mishnah and the Brisa. Is it about like bylaws when Yantif began? Or is it about more, what was it omed to be, what was it like projected to happen with it on Yantif? That's the contradiction. Our Mishnah seems to say it's about who had it when Yantif started. And Reb Dosa seems to say but it's about the projected uses on Yantif. The Gemara explains there's no contradiction. We're just referring to different cases. Our Mishnah could agree with Rabdosa below Kasha. Rabdosa on the Bryce was talking about where there's only one shepherd. Meaning, the idea is that there was one shepherd that everybody gave their animal to. It was like one town shepherd, some real rural village. Everybody gave it to one shepherd. So when you did a deal with the guy and you were going to give it to the shepherd, everybody knew it was going to go to that shepherd. So there's no novelty. So even if I didn't actually hand it over to him until. Yantif began, but it was so clearly projected to happen that the Tchum is assumed by the shepherd. In our mission, we're talking about a town that has two different shepherds. So before Yantif, it's not clear who is, who's going to take the animal. So that's why, if it wasn't clear who was going to take the animal, so then it just keeps the owner's Tchum. So if it's clear who it's going to go to, even if it's a switch, then it takes on the new recipient. But if it wasn't clear from the outset, for example, a town has two different shepherds. We didn't know which one the seller was gonna, whether the new buyer was going to hire to take for his animals. So then we say that since it wasn't clear, so then it's just automatically for the whole duration of Yontif has the trum of the owner. And Deikonami, this is implicit in the language of our Mishnah. What's the language of the Mishnah? It said, Masr Lubno or Lerohe. It said he gave his animal to his son or the shepherd. Why did it say the son or the shepherd? Because the point the Mishnah is trying to show us is that it wasn't clear who was gonna get it. He gave it to the son or the shepherd, meaning on 12 o'clock, on Yantif, he gave it, it wasn't clear. He could have given it to the Baden or the Roa. Oh, and he decided, boom, to give it to one or the other. That's where the din is, since it wasn't clear which one he was going to give it to, so the trum is still the raglam of the owner, because since it wasn't a clear projection of who would be using it, so the trum did not switch. Masha Inkin, Rebdosa, and the prize, where there's only one shepherd in town, and it was so clear that once the deal was made, it was going to go to the shepherd, then we go with the projected usage and not with um, the owner's trum.
says the Gemara Psaq, I'm a Rabbi Rachan, Rabbi Yochan, Allah, Kriyabdoza. We paskin like this dinner for Abdoza, that when there's a projected usage, we go after the new one. We are Rabbi Yochan, Rabbi Yochan, Allah, Kistam Mishnah. Rabbi Yochan always tells us what's the rule. Allah is like the Stam Mishnah. It's not in our mission to disagree with Abdoza. What did our Mishnah say? That we always go like the feet of the owner, not like the shepherd. So if our Mishnah contradicts Rabdosa, and Rabbi Yochanan always says Allah Kistam Mishnah, so then how could it be Allah Rabdosa? So this is a big problem because we just clarified that our Mishnah doesn't disagree with Rabdosa. That's what the Gemara answers. And we just established that Rabdosa's case is different than our Mishnah. Rabdosa was talking about a case where there was only one shepherd and it was clear he was going to be the one using it. That's when he says it goes based upon the recipient and that's when Rabbi Yochanan was passing like Rabdosa. Our Mishnah was only talking about a case where there's two, ro- where there's two shepherds and it wasn't clear who was going to be the owner. Continues the Gemara, Tana Rabbanan. More complexity. When two people have a, have a, have, have a, have a kli, whose tchum is it established with? Two people borrowed a single garment. What does that mean? Reuben and Shimon both borrow a blazer to use. They both borrow it. Reuben and Shimon both borrow a suit jacket from Levi. So the shayla is, whose tchum is it? So And the intent is that this one is going to wear it to shul, right, in the morning of Yontif. This guy's going to wear it to a party on Yontif night. That was the terms. Now, they have two different trumen. So, and this guy put an ear for it to the north so that he could go to the base of that was outside the town in the north. And the other one put an ear for it in the south. So, they have different trum. Now, the garment is borrowed by both. So, it's restricted to both of their trumen. So, the one that put the ear for the north, you can only go north as far as the guy who made the Arab to the south can go. Very interesting. He cannot take it beyond a point where the southern guy can go. The one who put the Arab to the south, he can only take it as far south as the one who, who made the Arab to the north can go. So basically what we're saying is, is that it does not help that your intent is you were going to use it in the morning, I'm going to use it in the night. We don't say that during the morning it's got one guy's tchum and during the night it's got another guy's tchum. No. It has to be established for the yantiv like the tchum of both of the people who are going to use it. Since on yantiv it's only to be used by both of these parties, then it can only be used on yantiv in a location where both of the people can go. Tremendous novelty. Even though there was clear intent to split it. But you can't have a Zah situation where on this part of Yontif it's like your tchum and on this part of Yontif it's like my tchum. The outside is we're both going to use it on Yontif. It doesn't make a difference based upon the time and therefore it can only go as far north and south that both of them can go. The mitzvah is a tchum. If they establish tchumim in the center point between them with no overlap, meaning the way it worked was there was so much a bunch of a distance. It was 2,000, you know, one guy put it 2,000 amos outside the city on the north and one guy put it 2,000 amos outside the city on the south. So there's no overlap whatsoever in how far they can go. Then you can have that irony where the jacket can't be moved. Meaning if they both act selfishly and they don't try to overlap with each other in their tchumen, then you can have a theoretical situation where this jacket won't be allowed to be moved even one step. If one guy made his tchum so far to the north that it's going to cut out his friend from the south or vice versa, then uh, you, since the din is that it can only go as far north and south that they both can go, so then if it doesn't overlap, then they're not going to be allowed to move the jacket at all. Continues the Gemara, a further complicated case. Itmar was said, two people buy a barrel of wine, or two people buy an animal for slaughter. So there's a partnership, and they're coming, and they did this before Yantif, so it's clear that it's like their tchumen, their joint tchumen. 
Um, now they're dividing the wine and the meat on Yontif. So the Shaila is, once they divide it, and I get my pitcher of wine from the barrel, and you get your pitcher of wine, or I got my parts of the animal, you get your parts of the animal, do they take on my personal tchum, or are they bound still by the joint tchum which we share? An interesting question. Basically, once it's divided, I'm only holding mine. But when Yontif started, it was a general part which we were partners in. So Rav Amar Chavis Mitaris Mei Masur Rav says there's a distinction. By the wine, once it's divided, the wine can be taken to the individual tchum of the parties. But by the Mehema, even when, once we divide it, it can only be taken as far as both of us are able to go together. We're making a distinction between the wine and the animal. What's the difference? We have to see. Shmuel Amar Chavis Nami Shmuel says no. In the case of the barrel as well, it's Asr. Meaning, even once, once we divide the wine, each of the wine, the portions that we get, can only be taken as far that both of us are able to go together. Says the Gemara, what's going on here? So the issue here, obviously, is Brera. Brera means when something was owned from the outset in partnership, it was, it was going to be divided, but had not yet been divided. Once it's divided, do we say retroactively, this was the portion that was always yours as the partnership? Or do we say, no, the partnership was for everything communal, to, be, to, be, to be held collectively? It's a new division that happened later. But that doesn't mean retroactively what you received was always yours. So now the big nafkamina would be in Tchumen. If you say yesh brera, so once you divide, the wine that you're holding was always your wine in the beginning of a yantif. So therefore, it should only be for your Tchum. Whereas if we say ain brera, so it's just a, a new division that happens on yantif, but when yantif began, it was a partnership, so then it should only be allowed to go as far as both of you can go. That's clearly the variable that's going on. But Rav made a fascinating split. He split the wine from the animal. So that doesn't make sense. What does Rav hold? What's the analysis here? Once it's, once it's divided retroactively, it's determined at the outset of Yontif that it was only yours. Then even the shares of the animal should be allowed to go wherever each of us individually can go. And if we don't hold the Brera, then even in the case of the barrel, it should be also for each of us to take it beyond the point that both of us can go. Why the distinction between the barrel and the animal? So Shmuel says that the barrel is also, clearly he just says Ein Brera. But what's going on with Rav? If he holds Ein Brera, both should be also for the Yesh Brera, then even the animal should be mutter. Really, and that's why the wine is mutter to go where each individually can go. But the case of the animal is different. Why? The two shares have sustenance from each other. What does that mean? The point is, is that in a live animal, we can't consider them different entities. Why? Because they were considered, they were all part of a living animal. So a living animal has to be one big thing. You can't do that. Even if there's theoretically my part of the animal and your part of the animal, but my part of the animal needs your part and your part needs my part, right? If I have the heart and you have the lung, the lung can't be without the heart and the heart can't be without the lung. So we're drawing sustenance from each other. So the trum, even if they are different, but the trum is established between the communal share of both. Why? Because both parts need each other. So if I have a barrel of wine, my half of the barrel doesn't need your half of the barrel. Once we divide, it's retroactively determined what was my half and what was your half. So it's individual trum and I don't need you, you don't need me. But in the case of the animal, you can't say that. Even if it is retroactively my part versus your parts as my heart and your lung but since it's one big entity of a living animal we can't have one without the other in the beginning of Yontif it was a living animal so therefore the Tchumen are restricted based upon where both of them can go says the Gemara very hard line very difficult next line in the Gemara Regarding the Isra Muksa, the rabbis weren't concerned for that far. You think they were concerned for Tchumen? So what does the Gemara mean? It seems like this. The Gemara wants to say now, why don't we say that when you get your part and I get my part, we should say that, that there's an Isra of Muksa. Why is there an Isra of Muksa? Because 
my part was for me and your part was for you. So if my part's for me and your part's for you, so your thing should be muksa to me. It's not for me. It's only for you and your part is to be muksa and, and, and my part should be muksa to you. It's only for me, not for you. And even once we divide it, the muksa din should remain. Why? Because when I get my thing, I, my thing was drawing sustenance from your thing. So if your thing is muksa to me and my thing only is here because of your thing, so my thing should be muksa. If the status of my lung is dependent on your heart, so therefore we should say that the muksa status of your heart should affect my lung, if that should be a good svara. Elamai, the rabbis don't buy that svara. Why? Because even though we need each other, Elamai said separate things. It's my heart and, my, and your lung. So your thing is muksa to me, my thing, my, my, my thing is permitted to me. We don't say that the muksa status of one half affects the other half. If that's true, so we should say the same thing by Truman as well. Who cares that my half needed your half? It was part of one living entity. But Elamai said they're separate things. But what in the world is the Gemara even talking about? The Gemara holds that when you have a half of an animal where it's, well, one half goes to you and one half goes to me, then your part's muksa to me? There's such a thing in life? If you have fruit, yeah? You can't give it to me, anyantif. It's muksa to me because it's yours. Nishtazas, ach. Muksa is a pilot. It's a hundred things. It's usable. It's a usable entity because it's only for you to use more than me, then that's muksa. If you have partners who have owned something and you have your part clear, your part and my part, your chilek is muksa to me? Hayitachnaz azach. Seems like that's what the Gemara is holding. Now the Gemara is making all this creative point. So the, oh, the muksa status on your half, since my half draws sustained, it's being sustained by your half, so my thing should be muksa. Ooh, why don't we say that? LMI, we're not cheshish for a svar that the halves combine. So the Gemara, we shouldn't say the svar klapet chumen as well. But Stam, what is the Gemara talking about? There's such a thing that your half is muksa to me? It's a pella. But that's what it seems that the Gemara holds, that your half is muksa to me. So the Gemara is slugging it up. Once we see that for Muksa, we don't say that the Svar, that the two halves impact each other, we shouldn't say by Tchumen as well. So the Gemara is Rav. Rav was silent. Rav didn't give a terrorist to this. Very, very hard thing. We didn't give an answer to the question. Very, very difficult piece of Gemara. So now the Gemara says, My Avi Allah, what is the Mice of the Halacha? So basically what happened was Rav holds Yesh Berios, he was mad to the barrel of wine. Forget about the animal, we don't understand the animal. The Gemara says Rav was silent. But in terms of the barrel of wine, Rav said Yesh Berios. So it's motor where they each individually go. Shmuel says Ein Breira. It's only motor where they both collectively can go. So my Havi Allah, how do we pass in Yesh Breira Ein Breira? Rav Oshi Amar Yesh Breira, Rav Yochan Amar Ein Breira. So Machlokas, Rav Oshi and Rav Yochan, how do we pass? Frakti Gemara, Rav Sarav Oshi Yesh Breira. Does Rav Yoshi really hold Yesh Breira? Vatanan, it says in the Mishnah, Mitzvah, Ba'afel, Upsach, Ma'ave, there's a dead body in a house and there's many doors. So you might hold the halacha and is that there's an OL, Ames, anything in the OL is tummy. But not only is there such a halacha, the door that the, that, that the corpse is destined to be taken out of, anything in the doorway is tummy. So if there's just a bunch of doors, we don't know which one is destined to be taken out of. So therefore, kulun tamehim. All the doorways are tummy. Any kalim in the doorways are tummy. You, I hope you remember this Gemara from Daf Yud. All the things in the doorways are tummy because we don't know which door it's going to go out. But if one of the doors was opened after the person died, who tame? Then only that one is tame. The rest of them are tar. Why? Because once one is open and the rest are sealed, then we assume it's going to be taken out through the open one. So only the kalim and the open one are tame, then one and the rest of them are tar. Let's say you, you just mentally decided, you plan to remove it through one of the doors, or through a window which is at least four tvachim or four tvachim, so then your thought saves the rest of them because we assume you're going to follow through with your thought and the course will be taken out through that opening. 
That's only if you decided before the person died. But if, but if, the, if the decision wasn't made until the, the mace was already there, then the doorway always already became Talmud. Even if you decide which doorway to use after the person died, the other doorways are no longer Talmud. Basilo's words are coming to say that it's only about what's Matar from now and on. It's about being Matara from now and on. You can't buy in and not retroactively. Meaning, if you decide afterwards, we could say that what's now Mikanu Lahaba and the other doorways is tar, but not retroactively. Why? Because in Brera. The question is, do we say that once you decided after the death that you were going to take it out of one, do we say it's retroactively determined that this was the one who was always going to be it was always going to destined to be taken out of? So we don't say that. If we don't say that, that's approved there by she holds. Ain Breira. So it's a stira to us. Here, is saying that the wine is mutter, each of them individually can go because Yesh Breira, over there by the, by, by the mace, he says that when you think after the death to take out of one, we say only for the future. New Kalim, which we would put in the other ones, are tar, but not retroactively because Ain Breira. So the Mar says, April, you switch around who said what? Rabbi says, Ain Breira. Rabbi Yishia says, Tasra. Rabbi Yishia says, Yesh Breira. Frag the Gemara, Mia said, Rabbi Yishia says, now we're going to have a stira the other way. Rabbi Yishia holds Yesh Breira. Brothers who divided inheritance considered that they purchased their shares from each their shares from each other. Meaning there was a shared inheritance, then they divide. We don't say yesh brer. We say ain brer. They made a new purchase when they divided. Machzirin says Therefore, they have to return what they got during Yova. Yova, the property goes back to the person who was bought. So if you would say yesh brer, so it wasn't a purchase. It was just always mine, and this was always yours. So then it wouldn't go back to each other in Yova. But Rabbi Yochanan holds ain brer. So it's like a new purchase was made when we divide. So it goes back to one another at Yovel. So we see that Rabbi Yochanan holds Ein Breira. So now we have a Stephen Rabbi Yochanan. When it's a Daraisa issue, like by Yovel, we're Machmer and we say Ein Breira. When it's only an issue like Tchumen, if the, how far the wine can go, there Islay, there we will hold a Breira. Maybe that will be the solution. We hold a Breira by Darabonon, we don't hold a Breira by Daraisas. But the Gemara will stop here for today. The Gemara tomorrow will slug off this possible solution. So we're in the middle of trying to figure out. How do we pass? Yesh Breyer, Ain Breyer, we have serious between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Oshia.